wastewater and cactuses are some things you'll find in Tucson. And there's many other things I could ramble on. Thanks for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah, and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We're definitely not experts, and anything that we discuss that might be controversial, we want you to remember that they're our own opinions, and they might be different from yours. So, uh, CBCs are going on right now. The, yeah, we're getting to the end of the season. Yeah, Christmas uh, was last week, and mm-hmm. yeah, so ours was pretty quiet, um, other than hotel guests, which happens. <laughs> yeah, Pe- people love to come, people, people like to go places where they don't have to clean the kitchen. For holidays that you do a lot of cooking. Is so you, that it? I think so, yeah. Thanksgiving, we're busy. Christmas, we're busy. You, you come make a big ham dinner and then uh, let the hotel clean up the kitchen afterwards. See, I don't feel that because <laughs> it's like I know where everything is in my kitchen. And That's I know true. what tools I have. And, like, I'd be afraid of going somewhere and being like, oh, we're then, they're not going to have the whatever that I need. Like, it's going to be that one thing that I need and <laughs> they will not have it. Well, for, for us at, at our hotel, luckily, we have literally everything you could probably ever imagine because every time someone asks for something it's like oh well if we don't have it we just go buy 12 of them yeah for all the rooms i suppose that's true <laughs> but, but you but can't I mean, guarantee that with other places that's true if, if you've never stayed somewhere and you're like oh well i want to go and blah 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 but yeah end up getting screwed out of <laughs> making making a nice easy meal <laughs> they don't even have pens <laughs> <laughs> They, they don't even have a mid-sized zester. They only have a small zester and a large zester. <laughs> Is that what you need I don't often? Know. Yeah, I, I, sometimes you need a, mid, a middle-sized zester, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the zests are too large. <laughs> that's, like, that's just a peel at that point. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to peel it. You want to zest it. I don't know. <laughs> so, for our Christmas gifts, we um, bought each other some Fjall Raven gear, which yeah. I'm super excited about. I'm, I'm super excited. It's uh, Shipping is really slow with everything, so... It yeah. might it might be a little while before we get it. <laughs> yeah, but like it's a so Fjall Raven is a brand that we saw a lot of birders wear in Europe, and so we wanted to test it out because it looks like super durable gear, and it's just really like nice fancy stuff. And you know we don't often treat ourselves to like nice clothes. Yeah, no, we we usually buy like uh, not not saying anything bad about Costco clothes, but we usually buy <laughs> co- Costco Costco clothes because they're very economical. Um, well, and, and they usually last long enough that it's the you make money, your money on you it. make your money on it because they they last long enough that it's useful, sustainable, I guess. Yeah. Um, but Fjall Raven, they are a very very high quality brand of stuff that we um, saw. They sell bags and jackets and pants and shirts. And this isn't a commercial for them. Everything. By the way. No, it's not. No, no. And we just... haven't even gotten our gear from them. We we're yeah, just seriously. excited about it. We're, yeah, we're excited about. It. We saw them all all, all over Sweden and uh, the stuff. It's they they market themselves as extremely sustainable. They um, they like don't want to sell sell you a second pair of pants. They want you to yeah. like fix your first pair of pants. Yeah, they 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 want you to buy this. I think one of the advertisements I saw for them is this is the last pair of pants you'll ever want you'll ever buy. I doubt it. Yeah, I, I doubt it. I, I can't imagine pants really would not last that long. But, but I think it's a good shtick. I think it's a lofty goal. Yeah. <laughs> So anyways. Anyways, yeah. That's that. <laughs> that's what's uh, going on in our lives. Any Just other... a lot of thinking about clothes. <laughs> <laughs> any other bird news that you can think of? We've had some storms come through in our area. So we've had red phalaropes yeah. um, that have been blown in, which we got our life for red phalarope yeah. the other day. It's, so that's It's exciting. not every year that we get lots of red phalaropes on the coast, but... Uh, this year seems to be a year that the winds are just hitting it just right. So uh, we had 
I think the first day there was just one or two, and then the storm blew in, blew in even more overnight. We had up to like nine down yeah. the ponds. But and, yeah, in past years there's been like six hundred. So yeah, I mean I don't I don't want that because like it's dangerous for the birds because they're not you know used to being on land. But I also want to see like six hundred phalaropes. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Well, like your mom was saying that uh, that year they were just all over the roads in Cannon Beach. They were just everywhere. So it was like it was a massive. It was essentially like a fallout situation, like an invasion. Yeah, but on the west coast. Yeah, you don't often have fallouts on the west coast. <laughs> Well, and people are still seeing snowy owls around. I haven't yeah. heard about the Queen Anne snowy owl, um, but I know, uh, like, upper Midwest and into mm-hmm. the east, people are still seeing them. Yeah. Lots. So there's, there's, it's getting to the end of the winter finch eruption, and, I mean, I guess people are having pine siskins in Portland a lot. With, yeah. That's the, that's the other thing I wanted to talk about, is the pine siskins that, uh, in the Portland, kind of northwest, Pacific Northwest region... Uh, the massive finch eruption has kind of led to a, uh, disease, um... To salmonella outbreaks yeah, um, at feeders. I can't remember the word I was going for, like, a disease eruption, too? Pandemic. Just, uh, yeah, a finch pandemic? No. Yeah, no, that's probably not right. No. Um, but it's, it's led to, because they're gathering in such large numbers and people are feeding them, and a salmonella outbreak, essentially. So, the, um, a lot of people are taking down their feeders, um, just to kind of try to get the siskins to disperse a little bit and kind of spread out. But uh, I think that it's going to kind of come when they move back north, when they kind of disperse. But Yeah. So. Yeah. It's that's, interesting. That's what's going on as far as we know. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's lots of other stuff going on. but. Um, yeah. So we had an update to one of our reviews. So Avid Birder um, reviewed us, mm-hmm. and we read it in the last episode. But then they went through and updated it and added a couple questions. So They actually updated it. In between the time we recorded and the time we released our last episode. So it was like, it, it, I don't know how they knew that we had just recorded. <laughs> but but we, but we missed the update. They figured out our system. I guess. <laughs> Anyways, so um, they asked, what is your favorite bird? So I have, Pileated Woodpecker is my favorite bird that I can see on a regular basis, for sure. Woodpeckers in general, number one for me. But Pileated Woodpecker is the top of... The woodpeckers. I mean, I mean, there's <laughs> the ivory bill, but the, the top of the woodpeckers. Wow, it's the hierarchy of woodpeckers yeah. in your mind. Okay, so Pilliot is mine. What's what do you got, Hannah? So mine, I always claim to be lace and albatross um, because I just have this really romantic idea of albatross. Even though I, I read Eye of the Albatross when I was in, taking ornithology in college, and that really was a like key moment in my birding life you know one of those sim moments where i like leveled up a little bit reading <laughs> i albatross to really learn about their their life history and so i just had this really romantic sense idea of like living out on this far island and all of the babies you know being born and then like the parents leaving and ditching them and then the, <laughs> the, the baby's sitting there like what do I do? I guess I use these wing things and fly away. And then they fly for, you know, years and years and years circumnavigating the globe until they can find, you know, the place where they were born and then continue on their line. And So are they just lost that whole time? 
They, they, they fly away from home and they can never find their way back home. So then they just fly and fly and fly until they find home again. I don't know. I just, I always figure they're exploring and oh, okay. it sounds so fun. And I mean, I know these birds like go through a lot of hardships in their life that they have to deal with, you know, lack of food supply and like going long distances to find enough food to eat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were hunted heavily during times in their history. But they just are such gorgeous birds. It's amazing, you know, all the adaptations they have to be able to live this life at sea that's really harsh and, you know, unforgiving. Seriously. be able to live for that long. I mean, how old is Wisdom? I mean, she's like, I think in her 60s, and she, you know, had another chick this year. It's just (laughs) incredible to me that a species of bird can live just as long as humans can. Um. And, you know, a lot of cases, and they they just go through so much. So albatross are my favorite. Um, Lace and albatross, I can't wait to see one. That is going to be definitely the highlight of my life. So that's my answer for today. I'm sure yeah. tomorrow it'll be different. Yeah, it's usually, it usually flip-flops around <laughs> albatross, like different species of albatross. Um, so and also tanagers. And tanagers, tanagers. Yeah. Um, so Avidberger also asked, what Central American um, bird guidebook uh, would we recommend? And we, we've we discussed this a handful of times about uh, what books we recommend and what like things that we use when we go different places. And for the most part, we end up using Merlin on our phone. Now, now that Merlin is like more and more updated and more user-friendly on your phones. And it's free, you know, so it's a, it's a really good resource. Um, when we went to Europe last year, Mm -hmm. uh, we did take a guide with us and we had a guide, but we didn't really look in it as much because we had the app, uh, the Merlin app. And so, I mean, we're really techie people. (laughs) I say that techie. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, mid-millennial techie people and so we you know use our phone for a lot of things and that's just kind of our go-to because we're doing ebird at the same time and so it's just natural for us to use merlin so so that that is a really good resource for us um in the past when we visited uh, mexico and other places in central america we used this princeton illustrated checklist book which eric can put a um link to it in the show notes yeah, I'll, see if like I, I'll, I'll, I'll see if i can find it on amazon or something we um it's it's from princeton it's called birds of mexico and central america it's pretty much set up like uh the peterson guide you've got uh well, kind of like the peterson guide so you've got plates on the right hand side uh and then descriptions on the left hand side as you go through all of the um species so you have pretty easy comparisons of uh one member of a family to another and so it's it's, it's a pretty pretty interesting book um in the back is where you find all the um the range maps for it like so, yeah in an so appendix. It's, it's set up a little bit different than some other um field guides that you might be more familiar with so i you know i don't feel like you can really go wrong with some of these guides i would steer clear from photographic guides uh because those tend to be like much bigger books and they don't have as much information in them yeah and usually when we look for a um guidebook when we're like we we like to have guidebooks anyways even if we don't use them in the field um we just we have a giant souvenirs it's like souvenirs like places that you've been places that you've planned on going to um, so we have a lot of different guidebooks for different places that, uh, we've gone. And usually we try to find smaller regions than like something that covers all of Central America. So there's, 
within Central America, there's all sorts of different ecotypes. And so different countries, some, a lot of the different countries will have, like Costa Rica has um, field guide to birds of Costa Rica. And Mexico has a few that are specifically for Mexico. So you've, you've got a lot of guidebooks will break it down by country or region that encompasses just a couple countries, not... Um, not an entire area that spans as large as Central America, but... Well, and that really depends on what you're looking for out of the book. Like, That's true. It, this this one that we're looking at right here, it has very little information about each bird species. Mm -hmm. Like, it has the, the picture or the plate, you know, of, like, this one's all catbirds, thrashers, and mockingbirds. So it has them all on one page, which is really nice that if you're looking at an individual, it's easy to, like, compare the pictures. Um, and then the information is... You know, there's just very little information about what they look like and then a little bit about their call. And then, like we said in the back, it has the range map. So if you're just looking for, like, identification, this would be a really good resource because it's easy, quick and easy to figure that out. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you want more information about the species, uh, then, you know, you could look at Merlin or one of those other resources to find out more about it. But this is more of, like, a quick reference yeah. guide. And it's, you know, it's pretty small, so... Yeah. that's definitely a huge plus for us when we try to travel light. Yeah, so it's it's hard to kind of try to recommend a guidebook anyways because everyone's kind of looking for something a little bit different. Each and everybody time. has, yeah, their favorite. Yeah, but yeah, this this one, this Princeton Illustrated Checklists, uh, Birds of North Central America and Mexico. Birds of Mexico and Central America is a, um, it's, it's pretty good. I, I enjoyed it, um, but like I said, we, we used Merlin pretty much even, even, I think back then when we went, this was it was a number of years ago. Merlin wasn't up, but we still used eBird um, through the browser to look up species. So, um, so we had some people last episode listen to our um, podcast surprisingly from a couple from a couple different places. So it seems like Washington is a pretty popular place <laughs> to listen to us for right now. So surprise, surprise, Westlake Stevens, Washington came in first Ooh, uh, for a number Stevens. of listens, and we still haven't gotten to listen to that episode about. The Westlake uh, Stevens again, conspiracy. So. But again, if you live in Westlake Stevens or East Lake Stevens or North Lake Stevens, any any Lake Stevens, um, send us send us an email. We can we can send you uh, some holographic stickers, and you can and we'll we'll mail them right to you. We will support the post office. Um, and then second runner up was uh, Seattle. So thank you, yeah. Seattle, for tuning in. We actually have had a lot more listens in like. Yeah, concentrated areas. So I feel like you guys are trying to get first. So, yeah, so keep working like, harder. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you all for listening. You know, as always, we appreciate you checking us out. We do this for fun. And we're so glad that other people seem to enjoy us bantering to each other. Yeah. You know. Or talking you, about places we go or. The things we see. Things we see. And the people we meet. Yeah. All those. Yeah. So, uh, this episode, we wanted to talk more about our Tucson trip, and this time focus in more on what you can see if you are in Tucson. So, yeah. if, like, you have a day or two in Tucson, you know, and you don't want to travel too far away, there are some fantastic locations to go. And we yeah, didn't... like, almost in downtown, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't hit all of them. Um, Mount Lemon apparently, is just a huge place that a lot of people love going. Mm -hmm. We didn't get a chance to visit Mount Lemon, even though we had intended on it. But... You get a whole different forest type up in, uh, up in Mount Lemon, so it's, it's a whole different a whole different group of birds you can get up there than what we got while we were down there. So we probably could have 30 or 40 more species for Arizona by going up there. Yeah. But... 
But we didn't go out there. We didn't have time. So when we went down to Tucson, um, we drove down with my parents in their uh, RV, mm -hmm. and we stayed at the KOA, which is in, like, southern Tucson, and it is a super nice KOA. Like, it, it was gorgeous and i mean not for like nature purposes or anything but like had nice facilities if you're a full if you're a full-time rver or even like a part-time rver that that koa was pretty spectacular and they have these stucco um like little cabins that you can rent that are super cute that i kind of want one um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway so we my parents stayed in the rv and we tent camp next to it and um it was a good location because it was on the southern end of Tucson. So, you know, it was really easy to get down to like Madeira Canyon and all those other places without having to like fight city traffic. Yeah. We hop right on the, right on the freeway real easy. And the, um, and like Hannah said, the facilities were really nice. So if you don't want to like rough it by going out and actually, actually doing camping, camping, it's, it was, it was nice and comfortable showers and bathrooms and all that stuff. And it had one of my mom's favorite features of any RV park. Fruit just hanging off the trees yeah, that you can true. take. <laughs> like, we had a lemon tree um, that was over our tent yeah. that had lots of ripe lemons. And, like, there were grapefruit trees all over the place. So that's fun. But something you have to remember, if you're not from the south or from an air, a region that citrus trees grow, and I have to... I, I, I feel <laughs> you have like to remind Hannah every time. <laughs> I have to remind Hannah every time. But I also have to remind myself, I always forget, is that citrus trees <laughs> kind of have thorns on them. Kind of. I don't know if they're actual, actually considered thorns or not, but... Um, I may have injured can, myself on a lemon tree. You can definitely, <laughs> if, you don't, if you're not careful and you run your face into branches in a lemon tree, you'll, you'll, you'll poke an eye out. <laughs> yeah, so watch out for that. So Safety glasses, safety glasses, safety glasses. So the first place that we ended up visiting was a place that has like always, I feel like it's always been on my radar. Like it's one of the places that you really know about in Tucson, mm -hmm. or at least, you know, it's a big hotspot on eBird and it's Sweetwater Wetlands. And we've been to other Sweetwater Wetlands before yeah, we, <laughs> in Gainesville. There's one. We're just drawn to Sweetwater. Yeah. And <laughs> it's also a water treatment facility, which makes me wonder if there's something about the phrase Sweetwater, um, if that's like a euphemism for something. I'm pretty sure, I feel like I've heard when I was doing wastewater treatment that uh, that it's referred to in some, in some groups of people, raw sewage is referred to as Sweetwater. It's like tongue-in-cheek. It, Kinda. Well, it's because it, there's if you've not to get like too deep into disgusting this, but uh, <laughs> if you've smelled raw sewage when it's through during its process at the beginning of the process before it gets through, it does have a slightly sweet smell to it. So, okay, Inter and, and interesting. Thing. So I, I could I could see that being kind of the sweet water, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Anyways. <laughs> so, um, just a little bit about the facility. It was created, it was constructed in 1996 as part of the reclaimed water plant. Um, there's about two and a half miles of trails and it's open to outdoor enthusiasts only. So it doesn't have dogs or bikes or horses, which mm -hmm. is kind of a nice break, you know, going to a place where there's not going to be like skateboarders all over the place. Um, and it's connected with the loop bicycle system that goes along the Santa Cruz River, which I heard is just miles and miles and miles I, of trails. I think that the um, mic that we were birding with told us that it was over 100 miles. Oh, man. With the, within that region, like, of just a bike trail that just keeps going and going and going. So and, you can definitely get a good workout. And there is a bike rack um, in the back area yeah, right, where it at, meets. at the connection point. Yeah, yeah, so if you want to bike and then also go birding, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. And park-wise, it's not like, 
like, I mean, infrastructure-wise, it's not, like, spectacular or anything. Yeah. Um, there were realish toilets that, you know, were, like, the metal toilets and an outside hand wash station. So just something to get the job done. Yeah. So, I mean, just so you're aware and there's not a whole lot of like interpretive offerings like signage or anything like that, but it's a great spot for birds. Yeah. So lots and lots and lots of birds. It's known um, among the Tucson Audubon circles as a place that you can get some pretty good rarities at. And uh, the Audubon itself offers uh, weekly walks there during non COVID times. Yeah. Of course I'm, I don't think they're doing walks right now, but uh, but normally they they do they do walks there weekly, um, and well actually while we were there there was a rare bird being seen mm-hmm. that we saw yeah, so. um so we first we went birding there a couple times mm-hmm. and both times we ended up birding with somebody named Mike, <laughs> the first Mike. Um, this is the tour of Mike's. <laughs> Uh, the first time we went birding there, we went with Mike, who is uh, an instructor at the college and also a listener to our podcast, and yeah. also a budding trip guide. Um, yeah. Mike reached out to us in August to offer us a place to stay if we ever made it to Tucson, and then also guidance for where to go birding in Tucson, where to get good food and good drinks, mm-hmm. and just like so much awesome information. So thank you, Mike, so much for helping us um, you know, plan out our trip in the Tucson area. And yeah. we, we took a lot of your suggestions, and it was super helpful. But also, you know, he listens to us, so, yeah. <laughs> so he knows. Like, and he's the first person well, to reach out to us about well, it. And he knows what, you know, we're looking for, because we've mentioned it over yeah. 70 over, hours. Over and over and over again. <laughs> so we really appreciate your help, and it was just so nice to meet you and uh, go birding with you. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, so starting off, you know, we, we got a later jump in the day. I had a board meeting um, in the morning, so we weren't able to get out first thing. But we did see lots of ducks, and there's like a little pavilion on one of the ponds, mm-hmm. and it had gadwalls and widgeons and ruddy ducks and pintails. And yeah. All, all sorts of waterfowl, just hanging out, dabbling and diving and all the other things ducks do with their faces in water. Well, and it was really cool because like <laughs> the water was clear enough that you could watch the ducks swim yeah. around underneath the yeah, water. Yeah, watch the coot dive down, and then you see his, his uh, I was going to say flippers, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, like but, flippers. His, but his toes like flopping behind him as they as they kick along this is fun to watch i always like watching coots swim around underwater because i feel like i feel like they should dabble but they dive (laughs) i just i something about that just fascinates me watching watching coots dive and then swim underwater (laughs) i don't know why it's i don't know (laughs) (laughs) um there was also a bevy of gambles quail like Mm -hmm. all over the place yeah we kept we kept running into them We'd, we'd go around the corner they'd be there so we'd wait they'd move on we go for a little bit further, and then they come from a different direction. I'm pretty sure it was the same group, just kind of moving around through the park, feeding, having a good time. They're like rogue teenagers. <laughs> you, yeah. just keep on, you just keep running into, into them. them. <laughs> um, which was, you know, super cool. And like a lot of the species that we saw on this trip are things that we saw when we were in Southern California. Yeah. At the beginning of the year, um, when we went for the San Diego Burning Festival. So it was like, ah, we saw them both places. <laughs> um, but this site was also great. We had Verdon, we had Vermilion Flycatchers, uh, Black and Says Phoebe, yeah, Black-tailed Gnatcatchers. Black-tailed Gnatcatchers. That was, it was a kind, it, it, it wasn't a lifer this time, because we got that when we when we went to the Salton Sea, mm-hmm. the Salton Sea um, back in February. Day, February. But uh, but these these looks at the blacktail netcatchers were significantly better. There was they were all over the place. They were very very prolific netcatchers around this park. Just pretty much everywhere. I I took maybe three hundred pictures of like two of them, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and then realize like oh i've taken so many pictures and they're all about the same i don't know why i'm <laughs> i don't know why i keep taking pictures because of the same so bird cute. I, I know they, they like beg for their picture to be taken because they'll, they'll pop out just long enough for you to get focused in and they'll hide again but they're so mad at you too oh i know they're 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 them and uh any of the tits just always look so mad <laughs> like especially if you get them face on the 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 way that their eyebrows are just, just yeah but like the Funny ruby looking. the ruby crown kinglets they're only mad at you when their crest is up otherwise they're just excited yeah their eyes are big and excited ah, hey. um, i didn't know you'd be here <laughs> anyways um, and then i i got you on your lifer green-tailed towhee i know which i'm Finally. kicking myself for because i'm catching up i saw uh green-tailed towhee i think in 2013 was a when I got mine, mm-hmm. um, when we were in Bend, and Eric didn't see it because he was driving, you know, so always make somebody else drive. <laughs> <laughs> that way you can look at the birds. You can get the lifers. <laughs> uh, but then I got you on it, so now you're you're one closer to me. Yeah, and also at this park, so many yellow-headed blackbirds. Yes. There was oh there was gosh. a group of red-winged too, but the yellow-headeds definitely far outnumbered them. And we didn't see any of them perched, but they were all flying over, going from one side of the park to the other, just like in these giant flocks, 30 and 40 birds at a time, just over and over and over past us. So really, really interesting, awesome looking birds, bright, bright yellow head and chest. And Sweetwater is just like a really neat place. Um, you know, it has the, the dirt trails and everything. Mm-hmm. So like you can kind of sneak up on things a little bit better. I feel like it's not very, cre- yeah, it's not the crinkle, like hard crushed granite yeah. gravel that makes a lot as you walk so it's it's kind of nice you can kind of sneak and be, be a little secretive and not and but but then also people can sneak up on you and then all of a sudden someone's standing next to you like hey did you see that oh, geez, i didn't know you're i didn't know you're right there but it's just like a maze of trails all around these ponds yeah i feel like you know we kept going around corners and i was like oh there's a whole nother part of this place <laughs> Um, so we did that one day mm-hmm. and then, um, I think two days later we ended up birding with Mike from non-retired birders who yeah. saw that we were in the Tucson area and reached out to us, uh, to go birding with him, which was fun to see him. We saw him, um, geez, in the spring, he stopped here at the hotel to say hi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so one of those other people that we've now seen him in two States. <laughs> <laughs> we keep records of things like this, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's just like listing anything else. You have just keep listing. Um, <laughs> well, I'm always surprised to see like how many people I have met in more than one state. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Mike from uh, Non-Retired Birders, he, he reached out to us. So we ended up planning on going early in the morning. So an actual morning bird walk instead of um, when we went with Mike, uh, the teacher from the the math teacher from Tucson. He uh, we we couldn't do a morning thing with him, so we did it. We did it like a kind of afternoon walk with them and it was fun to see like the difference in the morning versus the afternoon like the afternoon was still really good we had 38 species on that walk and we were there for maybe like hour hour and a half or so Mm -hmm. um and then when we went with um mike from non-retired birders we just got under 50 species i I thought we were going to make it to 50 and then it it kind of became like we were like lingering around the parking lot a long time trying to see what, wait for a roadrunner to yeah, come through try, trying to find something else and we're <laughs> like well we'll walk a little bit further but it's like well we got we have other stuff to do but well we can we can get to fifty we can get to fifty let's walk a little further well and that's what I was gonna say about this site you know I feel like enough things were popping up like over by the bathrooms um, which is like in the parking area there's a stream that is like a man made little stream that goes through and like stuff would just keep popping up so it's like. You had to look at everything because something unexpected was bound to happen. Mm-hmm. The, and part part of right at the end of the walk, too, is um, we went searching for that rare bird that's been see, seeing there. It's not like a crazy, like, amazing 
ABA first, code five or anything like that, but it was in Northern Perula, which is not, not common at all for that area of, uh, of Arizona or that area of the country. So, um, we, we had to, we had to hang out with Mike and try to, try to find it as much as we could, which we found it and got some identifiable photos. Other people were there with some monster cameras and like fill flashes and all sorts of stuff to get some like, you know, guidebook photos of it but coincidentally after we saw the perula we were like driving around and i was looking at twitter and i saw a different mic a third mic a third mic had posted that they had seen it in tucson at the sweetwater wetlands that day the perula (laughs) and they posted their picture and i was like the same day we were there the very day we were there (laughs) i didn't I didn't say anything to him like about like I've been there with three different mics then. Because <laughs> it, I think trip. he was there. Like I think I saw him. Oh really? Yeah, I just didn't know who he was. <laughs> so that was funny. Yeah. Um, at least to me. <laughs> but yeah, it it was great going birding with Mike. We saw a lot of the same things that we had seen the day before. Mm-hmm. Of course, a couple different ones. Um, and also uh, we were able to help him get his first blue-gray gnat catcher for the state of Arizona, which yeah. was exciting. Um, he's telling us about how, you know, we don't have a whole lot of experience in Arizona, so we don't know, like, what the the percentage of blue-gray to black-tailed gnat catchers are, but I guess black-tailed are much more common um, than blue-gray, and so he hadn't seen one yet, so that was cool. Yeah, it, w- it was definitely definitely fun to get him a state lifer. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's so funny because, like I said, we don't really ha- know that that because we haven't really paid that close of attention to the percentage of gnat catchers. So it's like really exciting for him, but for us, it was like, yeah, it's a blue guy. I mean, they were, they were all state lifers for us. Yeah. Everything was. (laughs) Being Um, our first time down there. But like I said, Sweetwater is, it's just kind of a hard place to leave. (laughs) Yeah. But we did end up eventually leaving and went up to, uh, um, Kind of to go to Saguaro National Park and uh, the Arizona Sonoran Desert Museum, like which that northwestern section outside of Tucson. There, yeah, and we love national parks. You know, we we like federal lands, I guess. Yeah, because I I love Fish and Wild um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service properties, like yeah. refuges and things like that. But also national parks because you know they're a national park for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so I want to see the cool things that make these places special, and. Um, when we found out about, or when we looked up the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum, I was kind of like, I don't know, it's like 20 bucks each, and, like, it's a museum, like, do I really want to spend that, <laughs> you know, just trying to gauge, like, maybe I'd want to be in Saguaro more and not waste time at the ref- or at the museum, but we were with my parents, and I know they're not so into, like, spending long just, hours birding, <laughs> so we decided staring, to go to the museum. Just staring at a cactus hole waiting for a woodpecker to po- poke out or anything, yeah. they don't. I, I think non-birders don't really appreciate that as much. Some of them, yeah, that's true. And my parents are always very patient about it. They are very patient, yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to force them on their vacation to like do that. <laughs> Sit in a blind for a couple hours. Yeah. So so for, before we went to the um, National Park, we went to the, the, the Desert Museum, which was pretty spectacular. It like, was. I was. It was I totally was, worth the 20-some-odd dollars we paid. Yeah. I, I was not expecting it to be as good as it was, like, honestly. Like, I... Like when you look at websites for places, they always talk up how good they are because you're not, you're not gonna put, post on your website that you're mediocre. You're, you're, you're gonna post on your website how amazing you are and how you're the best at everything and all that stuff. So, but they, I, I feel like it was it was pretty true to spirit. Like they, I don't remember exactly how big it was, but it's 
It was it was significant. We didn't we didn't get a chance to explore the whole thing. We were there for just over two hours, right at two hours, maybe something like that. Um, so I, I would a lot more time than two hours to, to explore the whole place. There was a few places that were closed due to COVID, um, cause there wasn't any way to maintain any kind of social distancing or anything in some of the caves. I think that's why I'm they were closed. Yeah. I'm not sure. There was some signs about it. We're just it. assuming. Um, but there was, there's underground stuff. There's above ground stuff. There's out, outside stuff. There's a whole section for, um, the, the water, the water life, the stuff that lived when all this area or all that area was underwater, like with um, sea level rise way back ice age times. And so there's fossils of these things. And so it was, it was really interesting to see like, this is covering the Sonoran desert, the Arizona Sonoran desert habitat from as far back as they can figure out that's this specific region. So before it was a desert, it was underwater and then it's now it's above water. So it was really, it was really interesting to see like the whole spectrum of what, that area has to offer or had to offer throughout all of history and geologic history and everything. So, yeah. So it's yeah. called a museum, <laughs> but it's really, it's a zoo. It's a bi- botanical garden, a natural history museum and a wild animal park. Yeah. Um, so all of that wrapped into the name of the museum. So yeah, I feel like it, it's definitely like way cooler than it sounds, <laughs> which it's not their fault at all. I just, no. yeah, we have a perception ourselves and it ended up being like, like blowing our mind how cool it was yeah it was it was really cool their and their goal is to inspire people to live in harmony with the natural world and foster a love appreciation and understanding of the sonoran desert which as you can tell from what eric said they succeeded yeah. and he, he is fascinated with this location it, it was pretty spectacular i mean like i think the, like hannah and i were talking about this the only thing that the place was missing is a fancy restaurant like <laughs> Every zoo you go to has a restaurant that you can go in and sit and eat. And they have a, they and, and they had one of those. They, they, they had one of those, like a cafeteria style or something or something like that. We we were there close to the closing time, so yeah. we didn't we didn't get to really check that out. But uh, but I we we both agree that uh, it needs a fancy restaurant that has fabric napkins and you go get dressed up and you sit there and you watch sunset over the desert like, with a glass of wine. With a glass of wine, exactly. That, Do you want to take me on a date there? No, let's go on a date there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there there was there was a patio that I feel like the restaurant could go there right there. Yeah, <laughs> there, there there was a section. It was like a big round patio that was kind of at the beginning of the of the wild animal area. Eat but some I, cactus. Eat some nopales. Like, eat some nopales. It, yeah, some really fancy, dutied up. Like, yeah. Yeah, that would be lovely. And yeah, they. I mean, they thought of everything at this place. Um, I feel like we were being much too complimentary, but I mean, it's all warranted. Probably, Eh, yeah. (laughs) Um, They had bathrooms all over the place, lots of fun interpretive things in the caves and, you know, all all the paleontological things um, and fun things to do for adults and kids and a couple of caves that were just super cool that Mm -hmm. you could go in and and see. And there are even sunscreen dispensers (laughs) throughout the the whole location. I thought it was hand sanitizer to start with and I squirted it and I'm like... Well, I guess I'm putting sunscreen on. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, you know, that's something that, that like, a lot of people wouldn't consider. And it's Especially if you're they... not from that area. Like, if, if you're just visiting, like, you probably, maybe maybe more people think of sunscreen than I do. But... I know. I got sunburned when we were there. Yeah. But, yeah. But also, in addition to all the things that they did, like, on purpose, it's <laughs> a um, it's a really good birding location. Um, we, upon, like, while we were entering... We had cactus wrens, phanopepalas, and gambles quails, just kind of all over the place. 
so you got phanopeplas, which are which were kind of they were they were a lifer in California for us, and now now they're a lot more common here. And we got a much better look. Much better looks here. Uh, cactus wrens, they were like they. I feel like they were filling the role of like a roadrunner. Like it was really interesting to see. They were all over the place. They looked like miniature roadrunners the way they were acting, like hanging out near the bottoms of cactuses and stuff. Is it was interesting, and then like I said, the, the gambles quails all over the place, and that that was just like within like five minutes of entering. And like can, I think canyon towhees too. Yeah, canyon, there was canyon towhees. There was there was a, there was a whole section by the um, close to the hummingbird exhibit that was kind of more lush. So there was some warblers and um, some sparrows and stuff. So lots of lots of different uh, habitat types, I guess, within this because they're trying to inc- inc- incorporate the whole Sonoran Desert landscape within the confines of the museum. So different birds end up segregating themselves out based on their habitat. Yeah. So it was really interesting. And they had the the leader of the welcoming committee there. When we first, (laughs) when we were driving in, they had a coyote that was kind of in the parking lot as we were coming in. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to see a coyote and everything, but I was a little worried about that people had been... I, I think people... Throw throw a French fries out of the car at it. Yeah, and that's probably that's probably why he's hanging out. Yeah, but he he was there when we left too, so that's that's kind of what made me think he's that that that's the case because he was there when we got there and he was still at the entrance when we when we were leaving. Yeah, um, it it was still cool to see a coyote. Yeah, like kind of up close. I thought the javelina experience, or the javelina, the javelina experience. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't really an experience. Um, the javelina exhibit was really cool, and it was funny how you know there's so much interpretive information about javelinas. Like mm-hmm. we learned so much about javelinas Seriously. while we were just walking through it, and um, and I didn't even read all the signs. I only read like half the signs. I know, I know. My my dad was super into it, <laughs> um, but you know javelinas, they're like not super common. You know to see like they exist in these areas but it Mm -hmm. it can be hard to see them and that's one of the things that they mention in the exhibit is that their exhibit for javelinas is so expansive that you might not see them while you're walking around it was it was significantly larger than i was expecting it to be like we we saw them when we first got to the exhibit like they were in the first section that we got to so like we were lucky we just immediately saw them, but then we just kept walking and walking and walking. There's more and more and more exhibits. So it's like these javelina could have been anywhere in the whole exhibit. And it was just huge. And yeah, so that was really cool. Um, so yeah, definitely if you get a chance, uh, check out this museum. It's regularly listed as one of the top zoological parks in the world because of their unique approach to interpreting the complete natural history of this region. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely recommend going to going to that museum. And it's on your way into Saguaro National Park. Yeah, it's it's essentially like at the entrance, I think. I didn't look at the map. But it's like, not too far. It's yeah. I, I I felt like while we were driving in, we had already gone into the national park, and then there was the museum, and then we went back into the national park. It's it's like right there in the same area. Yeah, um, and you know, Saguaro National Park ends up being about forty five minutes or so from the RV park, so it's pretty close to Tucson, um, just outside of it, and. You know, we wanted to go to Saguaro um, to watch the sunset because I had this idea in my head that I really want to see the sunset with, like, Saguaro cactuses in the foreground. So (laughs) we went there for the sunset. Yeah, which there is a ton of people that go there just for the sunset. Like, there there was a whole flock of cars going in at the same time as we were going in. And when we got to some places that, uh... Looked like they'd be pretty good for a sunset. The parking in that those areas was completely full. So get er, get there early for a sunset. Don't uh, don't do like us and wait until 
wait until it's already setting before getting there. <laughs> and we got there um, just, you, you know, after the the office had closed, yeah. the visitor center. So we didn't get a chance to experience that. But we decided to go drive the loop, um, yeah. which wasn't too long. No, not, not super long. But the road is definitely very undeveloped. So yeah. don't, uh, don't take a little compact, low-riding car through there. A regular um, sedan would probably do it just fine, though. Yeah, and honestly, when we rented a car, like, we usually try to rent the smallest thing just mm -hmm. because it's cheapest, and the gal ended up talking us into an SUV, which I'm glad we ended up getting yeah. that. Not, not for this drive, but another another one when we were going through Box Canyon. Like, it, it was uh, definitely useful for that. <laughs> this, this drive, not so much. You don't really need all-wheel drive for it, but it was you're, you definitely feel a little rugged out there. So our number one impression of going to Saguaro was I have never seen so many cactuses in my whole life that are giant. Yeah, there's so many cactuses. And if you're uh, if you're not familiar with what a Saguaro cactus is, just close your eyes and picture a cactus. <laughs> you're probably picturing a Saguaro cactus. The, um, they're, they're the big, big, tall. They kind of look like a tree almost. Have Usually have at least one or two arms. And they can have like up to 25 arms. So they can have a lot of arms, but, or they can have all, all the way down to zero. But they're big, tall, green cactus with, with ribs and pokey spikes. And we could probably do a whole episode on these cactuses because we think they're so cool. Oh my gosh. Um, you, you, the more you look up about them, it's like, <laughs> I, could, I could talk more about this. I could talk more about that. There's so much to talk about about saguaros, which is just, I'm, I'm not used to being that fascinating when I look something up so quickly. Okay, so now we're going to launch into some saguaro cactus facts because we think they're interesting and we think you deserve them. And it also ends with birds. So it's all related. It's all, it's all related to birds. So saguaro cactuses are the defining plant of the Sonoran Desert and that's where they are exclusively found. They are, they are the iconic cactus. Like I said, if you, if you imagine a cactus, you're probably imagining a saguaro cactus. Like you watch the old Looney Tunes or any, anything like that. When when they see cactuses, when you see cactuses, that's what they they, they always like draw Road those. Like and Coyote. Not not a lot of people close their eyes and imagine like the five ribbed barrel cactus. Like when when you say picture a cactus, like they they usually picture. I'm, some people probably do, but they usually picture okay. a saguaro cactus. Okay. Um, like Eric said, they can have up to 25 arms and they are covered in protective spines. Um, they grow white flowers in the spring and have red fruits in the summer. Mm -hmm. They can, they can be super old. So they can, they can live up to 200 years old. That's incredible. Which is crazy. And they reach a maximum height of, a, of about 60 feet tall. And that's 60 feet of tree, basically. So 4,800 pounds worth of flesh well and they're like full Cactus of water flesh. too yeah so and that that's another interesting thing when during that's that's why they have the ribs when they get a lot of water those ribs get expand they expand out and so then they can they can hold more water and then they'll slowly shrivel and the ribs will be more prominent when they when they're running out of water so they like bloat <laughs> yeah they bloat and go down so it's interesting it's it's interesting and they're super slow growing um a 10 year old plant might only be an inch and a half so like all these bonsai cactuses that people have they're like 10 years old it's amazing <laughs> little little tiny short things and they're super old already well super i don't old, think you can just old. buy like a baby sonoran or saguaro though i don't think so well, because they're protected, so I think it's kind of a... Yeah. yeah. Um, so even though they're such a giant plant, their roots only go about four to six inches deep, which is not very much. And they do radiate out, out as far as the plant is tall. So that's why 
Like, yeah. they're pretty sparse in the landscape. Like, there's a lot of them, but they do have a lot of space in between each one. Yeah, so I, I think I think that's interesting because it's a different root structure than what you typically picture for a lot of um, a lot of other plants. There's no there's no big tap root to hold them down. Yeah, so their their roots are are fairly shallow as far as root systems go, and I, I imagine it has a lot to do with capturing all the immediate rainfalls from big events. Yeah, so I think it so. Co- covers a large area to get get everything from the large event because it's not like being able to go down an extra five feet is going to get them any more water. Well, and you know I don't think there's massive windstorms that really go through those areas too, so they don't need like the roots to like hold them up. I wouldn't think. Yeah, I, I think that's. I'm, I'm sure all all of this all plays into the ecology of why why they are what they are yeah. and how they grow. Yeah. Um. So after the plant dies, there is a woody structure that remains, and sometimes that's used for things like building materials. And and they refer to them as bones, the cactus bones. Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, they kind of seem like bones when you when you see them when they're all dried out and husks. Like in the muse- in the Sonoran Desert Museum, there was. A whole bunch of different interpretive areas that were showing the way that um, the Native Americans used the cac- the cactus ribs for different things, or the cactus boots, or the, the different parts of the cactus once they're dried out, how how they use them for different building materials or different like resources and stuff. Which is you know just super cool that yeah. you're able to use that cactus throughout its entire life cycle. Yeah, it's so it's it's, it's just like being down further down into southern Texas. How mesquites are used for like everything. Every mm-hmm. bit of the mesquite can be used. The mesquite trees can be used for something. It's the same same way in this area where there's not really any trees, but there's these cactus that kind of fill the niche of trees, and then in the end can be used a lot like trees. And they're keystone species, which means that their impact on the the other species in the ecosystem far outweighs. Um, you know, that the other animals have. Mm -hmm. So they're just a super useful plant, not only for people, but also for other wildlife, like providing food, shelter, and protections for just hundreds of other species. Yeah, so really, I I think, one one more fact, and then we we can move on. (laughs) But this is the bird (laughs) part. This is the bird part. So um, woodpeckers, gila woodpeckers and gilded flickers, both make, um, make nest holes in saguaro cactuses. And part of the making, um, a hole in it, it's, it's kind of interesting it, because the cactus is so slow growing, they will drill a hole in it and the hole will, will remain soft and wet for up to a year before wow. the cactus can, forms a callus inside there before the woodpecker actually can use it. So they'll drill a hole one year and then go in the next year to use it as a nest. That's wild. And then after they've used it one year, like I, I, I imagine they're defending it and stuff as if it's their regular nest. Yeah. Um, after they've used it for that year, then they're done with it. Other things will come in and use it, but that callus that forms inside there, once the cactus dries out, it dies and dries out, and and all the flesh rots away. That callus remains as a woody structure huh. that can then be used, and it's called a uh, saguaro boot. That's interesting. So so people, they'll use it to um, the natives used it to uh, carry water or other items, seeds or wh- whatever else you wanted to carry with you. Yeah. So it's really interesting that woodpeckers create something for people to use (laughs) in in conjunction with the help of the cactus i guess but the woodpeckers made it (laughs) well and i thought their um relationship with white-winged doves is really interesting so So one one more fact (laughs) (laughs) it's another bird thing um so saguaro cactuses they provide food in the forms of pollen nectar and fruits and um 
but white-winged doves are a very important pollinator, which you don't always think of birds as pollinators. You usually think of them as like seed dispersers, but they also <laughs> do that. Uh, but white-winged doves visit the blooms more often than any other bird species. Up to 60% of their diet of the individuals you know that live in that area is saguaro-based. And they also help disperse the seeds, and even do, their breeding cycle is timed with the blooming of saguaro <laughs> cactuses. That's interesting. Yeah, so that's a very like tight-knit niche um, you know, relationship that only, you know, happens in that area with those white wings. Yeah. So while, while driving through that area, we, we, we saw lots of woodpeckers. We saw lots of, um, we saw a couple thrashers. We saw all sorts of just birds, but it wasn't even a good time to go through there for birds. <laughs> like we were, we were there for sunset. So it was not a great time for birds, but oh my gosh, the views were spectacular. Yeah, and just absolutely gorgeous. The the way there was just a little bit of cloud cover, just enough to give some color to the sky and like to give some texture to the sky and the cactuses and cacti's, cac- cactinios? Cactinios. I don't know. Uh, whatever the plural of cactus is, however you want to Cacti? Sure. Obviously. Obviously. It's like octopi. Octopi. Octopods. Um... Anyways, lots of cactus, and they they were it was spectacular. It was awesome. Well, and one of the my favorite parts is that okay. it was like an unobstructed view. Yeah, you know, of the sunset with nothing but nature in the foreground. I mean, like there was I think a um, plateau like off in the distance, mm-hmm. but between like where we were in that plateau, there wasn't any like human created structures other no, than roads. No, it was it was awesome. Well, even those you couldn't even see the roads from where we were at for the most yeah. part. Like it was like I think a, a couple of spots while we were driving we could see it, but like we said it was a it was a dirt road. It wasn't a it wasn't a improved road. It was just a dirt road, so it could have been a trail. Like it was like gorgeous. looking through it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then we had to go to dinner. Yeah. It was it was time for dinner. We had we had enough of looking at the sunset and it was the sun was down. And so we found this place called Gentle Bends in uh, kind of the college area downtown. Yeah. They had outdoor seating, so we were able to, you know, socially distant outdoor seat. Um, and no, and what was kind of nice, it had enough outdoor seating for how, what, I don't remember what day of the week we were there. It was a weekday. Yeah, I don't know. But um, en- enough outdoor seating that we didn't have anyone probably within like 15 feet of us. Yeah. Which was nice. Um, but they had phenomenal burgers and fries and beers, and mm-hmm. it was a great restaurant. I was kind of tempted to go back again. Yeah, but but definitely a very college vibe. It's oh, yeah. it's in it's in the downtown area. It had loud music. There was the 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 few people that were in the bar were definitely college students mm-hmm. that were just kind of having dinner and hanging out. Um, so loud music. It, it wasn't super loud on the patio, the section of the patio we were on. Yeah. So I think they saw that we were like all older, and they're like, "Yeah, they're not going to want to <laughs> sit there with booming music." Well, in these their people ear. aren't college students. We'll put them over in the in the old person <laughs> section. I don't. I, don't I know. appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they had really great beer. Um, I, I had um, I tried two different uh, two different IPAs from them. I had their Citrazone IPA and their Hipsterville Hazy IPA, both of which are good. The Hazy was, I think, better, but. I feel like my tastes have changed now. Yeah. Well, Going hazies hazy. are good. They're hazies little, are good. They're juicy. Yeah, they're juicy. They're fruity. They're yeah. good. And I had the TJ's raspberry ale, which was, like, delicious. That's exactly what you were looking for? Yes, it was. It was really refreshing <laughs> after being out in the desert. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like Eric said, very college-age vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we noticed that while we were down there, a lot of places refer to, like, soft pretzels as beer sponges. <laughs> I've never thought of them that. I mean, neither, but we saw like several restaurants had that on the menu like that. Yeah. yeah. So if, so if someone can answer why they call them beer sponges. I mean, I think be... I know why. 
I mean, are you, are you really going to dunk dunk your No, thing? no, it's to soak up the beer in your, in your stomach. In your stomach, is that yeah. what it is? So why is it an appetizer? It should be a dessert. Because you drink <laughs> beer before dinner. Oh, I see. So it's gets a sober you, it's a sober you up quicker. It's a sober you up before you eat before you eat your meal. I don't know. I guess these are a lot of questions I don't have the answer to. Yeah. Surprisingly. I don't know. Yeah, so that, I thought that was interesting. And um Yeah, no answers. But I um I, I got a burger. That's what I ended up I didn't I didn't get a beer sponge. I got a burger. <laughs> <laughs> uh the the Phoenix burger. It was delicious. Um all sorts of uh spicy things on it, jalapeno bacon, red peppers, pepper jack cheese, habanero cream. But it, and it was marketed as like Phoenix, like super hot, spicy. And it really wasn't that spicy. It was like it was a really good mix. Like all, the smoky flavor from the habanero with just like a little bit of the kick. It wasn't it wasn't overwhelming. I wasn't uh, I wasn't tearing up and crying and everything. <laughs> it was good. I'm mouth watering again thinking about it. But <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know we had my parents with us, and my mom is gluten intolerant, and so they had some options for her too. Yeah. Um, I think she actually got a burger. Yeah, burger on a gluten-free bun, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah that sounds right. Uh, but it was really good. Like I said, I'm tempted to go back. <laughs> it was just, you know, it was kind of hip. So that was our time in in Tucson. Yeah, and, in Tucson proper. Yeah, and like we said at the beginning, there's a lot of places to go that we didn't get to, like Mount Lemon. And um, there's some places on the Santa Cruz River that's supposed to be really good, too. So we'll yeah. have to go back someday and get those spots oh for sure there's there's so much so much down there we we didn't get nearly as many species as there are down there like there's yeah. all there's a lot more for us to explore i still still have yet to get my last aba <laughs> woodpecker and um <laughs> there was the northern chicana that's being seen down there yeah. and that was kind of our goal actually was to yeah. go see this bird but as we started exploring more we were like We've seen jacanas, like it's not, it would be an ABA bird, yeah. not um, a lifer. So we kind of just skipped on that. Yeah. Well, we, we, and we also wanted to see a lot of the scenic places, a lot of the, a lot of the big name places, the um, Sonoran Desert. We wanted to see Saguaro. We yeah. wanted all, all of these places that you hear about, like growing up, you hear about your whole life about going, like this is the things in Southern Arizona to go see. We had to, we had to go see those. And is it worth like skipping all that to go see a bird we've seen before, but in a different place? <laughs> I don't know. It's up to you. I, don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, it's to us. It didn't. You, you bird how you want to bird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, thank you all for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to us. If you'd like to connect with us on the socials, please follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. Hannah with an H, Eric with a K. Our Facebook is Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Our Twitter is at WeGoBirding. Our email is Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website, www.gobirdingpodcast.com. Um, if you get a chance, check out my podcast, which is Women Birders Happy Hour. Um, I just interviewed a gal from Seattle area named Etta, and she has some great information about community and how to build your community. Um, so check that out. Next up, I will have my our friend Andrea, who we mm -hmm. met earlier this year in San Diego, um, tell us more about her and how she started birding. So check that out, Women Birders Happy Hour. I hope you all have a fun and safe and happy and healthy New Year's, and we look forward to seeing you in 2021. <laughs>